Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 98 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what matters this week is some old and some new, but as always, no shortage of topics to talk about when it comes to the game of golf. FedEx Cup number 12 has been run and won, and with McElroy's millions now safely in the bank, I know that some of the reaction to the new format and increased purse has grabbed the attention of at least one of my co-hosts today. We'll chat about that. Plus, my other co-host caused a stir recently with a column he penned the week after the second FedEx Cup Finals event, that piece suggested that the mauling of Medina might be the final straw in moving forward with the distance debate. For those playing the drinking game, maybe just a half snifter with that early mention. We're going to get uh, plenty to get through. You don't want to peak too early, so just half a snifter yeah, with that, yeah. <laughs> that initial. There's also been some scheduling talk. Rory added again with some thoughts on the revamped 2019 timetable. And to round out the list of old chestnuts up for discussion, slow play. The Euro Tour says they're doing something. The US Tour says they're thinking about contemplating launching an, interve- an investigation into <laughs> doing something. And they might consider doing that a little bit later on. As always. I'm joined by the giggling in the background digital endeavour by my regular co-host. Though, to be fair, that label really does undersell their important place in the game. To prove it, both have been seeing other podcasts while we've been away. We'll find out about that as the episode unfolds as well. For the moment, without further ado, let me bring them into the discussion. First up, from the US blogger, analyst, author, architect, commentator, Golf Channel regular Jeff Shackleford. Jeff, welcome as always. Did I see you or hear you more accurately on a reasonably new Golf Week podcast recently? Everybody's doing it, this podcasting thing, isn't it? It's the new black well, Golf Week should have been doing it a long time ago, and they have at times with college uh, golf coverage, but uh, we should be all in, and uh, David Dusak is uh, running the ship, so our various writers will uh, appear there as well and talk uh, talk the things that Golf Week readers care about. Yep, absolutely, and uh, and it's good to see there's room in the market for more podcasts of all there. different flavors and angles. You know, in State of the Game, it's the best, of course, but it's not the only view that people have on the world. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's some of these people need to kind of stick with a format and let it build. I saw Golf.com just rebooted theirs for about the ninth time. It's like, really, another reboot? Uh, and, you know, you have to build an audience. I think you have to stick with a format, but that's my view. It's a funny medium, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you can't rush it like you can traditional media. In radio and TV, shows get two weeks. If they don't work, they're gone. Right. You don't need to do that with a podcast. In fact, you're better off not doing it. Let the audience find you. I think yeah. that's worked for us and it's worked for others. We're off the track already, which is great to see. Yep. From from down here in the Antipodes, as we emerge from the winter months, it's former touring pro turned architect, commentator and analyst Mike Clayton. Clayton, I know that you've been seeing other podcasts because I enjoyed mm. immensely your appearance on Brad Hughes' show last week. There was some terrific insight there into parts of the game that I'm embarrassed to say I never think to ask you about because I'm always so focused on architecture and issues to do with the state of the game, but your analysis of the 2006 US Open and some of the players, fantastic stuff, mate. So congrats on that and welcome today. Thank you, Rod. Good to have you along. He's a, he's a good guy here, guys, and really coming along in the teaching world too, building a real reputation he's, as a great he's, teacher. He's good. Yeah. He was a really good player. Oh, wasn't he? We forget, don't he we? Like, he, he lost his card that year. Woody Austin was 125 and Hughes was, I think, $100 behind yeah, him. It was, it was brutal. It was and brutal. That was kind of the end of his – that was kind of – he never really came no, back from that. no. Well, it doesn't help having a thousand kids, Clates. You know, he's got, well, I think he's got a thousand, but he's, he's got, got six, I think. Six, I think, yeah. He's, uh, so it's not that easy to move the family around. Uh, enough of all that. It's a case of kind of where to start, I guess, this week. I want to start with you, I think, Clates. There's so much to talk about, but the piece that you wrote for the Golf Australia, as in the organisation website down here, 
after the second FedEx Cup event at Medina. Medina mauling the last straw was the headline, which kind of gives a clue as to what's in it. I'm going to read just one line of it because I think it contains a bunch of interesting implications that we might chat about. And here's the line. Here's what she wrote. Justin Thomas was unquestionably brilliant this past week at Medina where he answered all the questions the course posed. His 263's total represents amazing golf. But is it a full 24 shots more compelling than Lou Graham's 287 in the US Open 44 years ago. Lou Graham won the US Open at Medina, 1975. There's a bunch of stuff wrapped up in that, I think, Clayton. I'm going to start with Justin Thomas was unquestionably brilliant. I feel like those of us on the rollback side of the debate, those on the other side often think we're saying the players aren't as good. We're not, are we? No, the players are really good. They're great. But um, the golfers... I thought it was unimaginably boring that week. Mm-hmm. It went short. No wind, soft greens, and wedges into every hole, which is a which is a bit of a cliched exaggeration because obviously it's not wedges into every hole, but just this just doesn't look very interesting to watch. I mean, it was much more interesting when there was more of a struggle between the course and the players mm. as it was you know, in the seventy-five Open. Mm. And we then- had Nicholas Nicholas Bogey the last three holes, and Crenshaw hit it in the water at seventeen, and. Yeah, there was a train wreck at the end of that tournament. Frank Beard shot a high score to blow the lead, I think. And, um, or was that the year before? No, no, it was that year. So, um, yeah, it's just there isn't a fair fight anymore mm. between the golf course and the, and the equipment and the skill of the players, mm. which is unquestioned. It's, you know, it's not to say these players are less skillful than players of generations past, but I also think for the average player there's a like in so many areas of our life, there's a dumbing down. I mean, technology dumbs our skills down. We don't handwrite particularly well anymore or remember phone numbers or learn how to turn left on the 4th Street past the service station because our phone's telling us what to do. Hmm. So I think the big-headed driver and the ball that doesn't spin and go straight is dumbing down players of all levels, really. Hmm. In fairness, Clates, your handwriting was disgraceful, and it's probably a plus that you do most of your communication by yeah, typing these days because you, you could have been a doctor as bad as it was. Shaq, yeah, it was. Shaq, what about that point? I'm intrigued by this. I feel like there's too much ill feeling in the distance debate, and we might talk about that a little bit later, and Michael Mahoney from Titleist appeared on a podcast and had some interesting things to say, I thought, uh, last week. But the notion that those of us who say that the ball goes too far, technology's you know, not doing much good for the game, there seems to be a feeling from the other side that what we're saying is the players aren't as good, we're just grumpy old men. Is it important that that right. not be the case? Because I don't feel like you yes. can move forward from that, that position. I think it, we're not saying the players aren't good, are we? Yeah, no, and that's uh, we did. We just did this discussion this morning on Morning Drive, and I wanted to make very clear right off the bat: you don't. We're not. We're. This is nothing against today's players, uh, but there is that narrative that we have never seen players like this before and depth of uh, field like this before, and that is true. I think the fields are deeper than ever, but I don't believe it's entirely uh, happened because of just. uh, amazing uh, gene pool uh, surge and hard, extra hard work. It's we know it's a combination of many things, um, but the one thing that you can do to control it, where you can bring things back a touch, where the the scales have kind of uh, been, been tipped, is 
is somewhere with equipment. And, you know, you have course conditioning, launch monitors, green books, all the information. The players all have the same information now. So local knowledge, intelligence, that's getting wiped out in that way. I mean, you can go down a lot of ways, and some of those are fine. That's just going to be the way society evolves, and and, uh, so be it. But I think the point that, that Tiger and Adam Scott are seizing on uh, is ultimately a skill discussion, which is that you have a group of people who are just uh, overpowering, overwhelming courses because of uh, the driver head size and the uh, reliability of the equipment. I mean, it's so much more reliable than it used to be. That's another thing. You know, graphite shafts, you used to just every once in a while, you just you swore you put a great swing on it and you just went, well, why did that do that? That just didn't react the way it should have reacted. So with adjustable clubs and day-to-day adjustments. And so the, the, the players have all these advantages and they're taking advantage of them and good for them. But I do sense, I, I don't know what you guys feel, but I do sense Medina and, and some of these birdie barrages, the, the response has been a little bit different. It hasn't been, oh, you guys are grumpy old men. It has been, well, that was kind of silly. I mean, it was just a matter of who made the most putts. I, more people are perceiving what's going on, that something is, is missing. And we certainly don't want to go back to the days of high rough and just everything a chip out and punishment. But we, we want that give and take. I mean, some of these stats right now on par fives, I mean, that was amazing. And Medina, the, a par five almost averaged under four. <laughs> it almost averaged. Think about that. Oh, it's staggering. It, it, it's staggering. It's staggering. It really is. It's staggering. It's, it's just so uh, – the, the, um, so I love that people are recognizing it. And then but, – but back to your original question. Yes, you have to kind of preface it every time with uh, there's no question that these, these players today are armed and, and, and ready, and they're taking the things and the information incredibly. I mean, I am – you know, and I'm envious of a lot of the tools they have for. I was thinking, I don't know why I was thinking of that the other day, the video camera. What a mess that made of some of us. <laughs> In hindsight, it was the ruination ah, of a lot of golf geez, geez, wasn't the it? Track man, it's so great because yeah. it it it's about the 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 the, yeah. the the numbers in those and getting in certain places and not how you get there uh, and the look of how you get there. So, um, so yes, we have to make clear that we're not. Um, berating or knocking the players and um i i I think that's i think that's increasingly been understood Hmm. of late this notion that the equipment compresses the field shack it's one of the it's one of the downsides of good equipment that players and woods and adam scott are probably standouts in this you know well but maybe woods not so much with the driver in particular but adam scott is go back 40 years he would have stood out from the crowd and now he's just average. That doesn't seem to well, be I right, think, does it? Well, well I, I would defend Tiger and say, well, I think it's already been forgotten, you know, how bad he got with the driver and how good he is now mm-hmm. with it. It's not, Fair you don't cop. hear anybody asking who's going to no. be his coach and who's going to be his, uh, who's going to help him figure out the driver. I mean, he's hitting fairways um, and he's now adjusted and he's playing a certain kind of game that is a, is a, is a little more conservative. Um and there may be selfish reasons for some of his views, but I think I think if you listen to him, he's consistent. Mm. He's remarkably consistent, and the things he points out are this mentality of just just go after it, and you have three to four good weeks, and then he just he just is you know I think like a lot of people sort of appalled at the idea that 
that it's sort of a long drive contest off the tee. So therefore, the really good, truly long hitter is is not getting his advantage or her advantage. And then there's just sort of this kind of silly, silly uh, go hit it and find it thing that um, is not interesting. It's not strategic. It doesn't tell you who the best player is. So um, I think he's uh, I think he's been remarkably consistent, frankly, uh, of late on that. And I'm guessing that the fact that he and Adam and a few others are mentioning that. I'm guessing they've they've gotten a sense that the governing bodies move may be on club head size and not not the ball but mm. i don't i don't know it should be a good start just to go to that clades i've found that a really intriguing statement from tiger that his take that the game is changing the way that the players used to try and you know just improve each week but now there's this mentality of three or four good weeks a year it doesn't matter when they come that's all you need just keep smashing it and hope that one week you put well that's a real change isn't it in the professional mindset or have there always been players who approach the game that way oh well no i think the reality of golf for Players who weren't the very best players have looked at Nicholas and Palmer and Player and Tiger week after week. Their, their records were incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, top wins, top tens, top fives. Three, you know, they were amazingly consistent. But always the average run-of-the-mill player made the majority of his, his or her money in four or five tournaments. Mm-hmm. I think that's always been true of pro golf. But... Um, Maybe it's that top it's, level that's shifted. He's hinted at this before, yeah. hasn't he, in that Lorne Rubenstein article around his 40th birthday when he said that the thing that surprised him most about the modern player is the number of cuts they miss. And one of his proudest achievements was to just make cut after cut after cut. Was it 200 and well, something in a row? That's almost, his, that's almost the most impressive part of his record. Was he make 144 oh, cuts in a row or something? crazy, yeah. Some of them were no was, cut events, but in fairness, most of them were yeah, cut events. So, but yeah. it's, it's good to make 15 cuts in a row. It's a pretty good run for it. I mean... Yeah. It would be interesting to look at who's leading that stat now in the tour and how many cuts it is. I bet it's less than twenty. You'd think, yeah, you would think, yeah. I thought that. No, was I think a... it's the, the the way players go about. I mean, Scott Hens a good example. He's not that well known in America, but Hendy just pulls that driver in every hole every week and smashes it. Figuring four or five weeks ago that, that tactic will come off. Yeah. And he doesn't care if he misses cuts because that doesn't matter. Because I know that I'll, I'll play well enough. Out of 35 weeks, there'll be that four or five weeks where taking drive out and every hole and smashing it down the fairway will work for me. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's always played. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I thought that was uh, sort of intriguing. The second part of that sense of yours, uh, Thomas's 263 represents amazing golf, but is it a full 24 shots more compelling than Lou Graham's 287 44 years ago? That's an interesting choice of words, more compelling. Does good golf equal interesting golf, Clates? necessarily to watch well it doesn't necessarily mean an interesting contest because watching tiger at pearl beach was compelling even though it was a no contest tournament i mean there was no interest in anyone else that week but um compelling golf i think week after is a fair struggle between the course and the the player Mm -hmm. and the equipment so i'm going to be fascinated watching royal melbourne in the President's Cup in a couple of months, because that course is so short now, that is the only way you can make watching golf compelling at Royal Melbourne to make the greens as hard as the road and 15 on the step meter. Otherwise, it's a... I mean, if you set up Royal Melbourne like Medina, it would be a, just a train wreck of it. It'd be 25 under it every week, more, because it's so short now. So 
we won a fair fight, but you don't want to get a fair fight. You know, as Shad said, by manipulating the dimensions of the golf course, by growing rough and narrow fairways and having greens at crazy speed and that's just kind of going around the problem and thinking that if you can manipulate the scores, everything's okay. But we're not trying to manipulate. I mean, anyone can manipulate the golf course to get a high winning score and and, and lead everyone to believe all's right with the world. But it's ironic, isn't it? Of course, play. Yeah, creating golf hard golf, golf is the easiest thing in the world to do, isn't it? Yeah. Which is the irony of that, I'm sure, isn't lost. What do you reckon about that, Shaq? 24 shots, the difference between 975, 287, 263 for Justin Thomas. And I think the course is about 400 yards longer, perhaps. Yeah, it's longer, it 100 yards longer. Yeah. 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 What do you reckon, Shaq? Uh, I reckon that they can carry the ball an incredible distance. I actually had a few people uh, have the nerve to try to blame the the, the role. I said, are you watching it? <laughs> Didn't <laughs> it rain all week, wasn't it? A sponge? Rain. There's, yeah, there's no role. Um, yeah, it, it is um, because it is one of those courses that we've always thought of as just a as a you could show up there uh, with about two weeks worth of uh, preparation and, and host a major kind of uh, 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 reputation and to see it and and by the way i heard from some people who were there who they who said the rough was brutal hmm. so these people were saying oh just grow the rough a little more it's just not enough and, that, and who knows maybe that's where where our friend brandel shambly came around i don't know but I, I know that a few of the people who were there, including um, I mentioned it on the air, Robert Damron, who was working as an on-course reporter for PJ Tour Live, he he was saying to me, "The rough was brutal. You can hurt yourself." It was it was, and there was you know Justin Thomas just still taking his chances, and a few other guys, and and uh, hey, if you can do it, you should. The numbers tell you that is the right mm. way to play the game. That that a wedge. Into a, a green at, at most golf courses is better than a seven iron, even even from the rough, uh, because of you know, and we forget they can change their wedges out very regularly. Um, they, they have they have great grooves, um, so the numbers are right. They tell you. That- oh, I've lost you, Shaq. Clayton, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, Jeff, Mike's. Oh, and he was right in the middle of a rant did, too. Did that whole rant get lost? Yeah, I lost. Yeah, it did. Unfortunately, can you start? Can you start again for the benefit of the listeners? I was enjoying okay. that. You uh, were at wedges and changing wonder, out the wedges, and the grooves are good. Wonder what happened? No, oh. I'm not sure. Mute, the mute button got hit, but my hands were on my lap. Oh, I don't know. We're, uh, we're blaming you anyway. I want to shoot. Um, so you're talking about how their wedges get changed out and they're good and all that sort of stuff, but that the numbers say you're better off yeah. 40 yards further down the fairway. Basically, but, further yeah. down the hole. Then, but, uh, but the the yeah, the players all have numbers now, and the numbers say that 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 getting it f- as far down the hole as possible, no matter where you're coming from, is going to be over the course of a 72 hole tournament way better than being back in the fairway. And Shotlink provides all that. The players have it. They have people who analyze it. And if you can carry it. 310, 320, you should. And and uh, why not? With the wedges they have, the grooves, the ability to spin the ball. I mean, there was that one shot that Justin Thomas held out of the rough to a tucked pin from the rough, and you just said that that's the one where they'll just at the at Far Hills and, and the uh, uh, 
uh, RNA uh, headquarters in St. Andrews will will pull up the tape of that and just go, oh my gosh, that's what what do you do? Uh, other and 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 there are many ways to attack this issue, and that's what's going to be fascinating is how do you how do they do it in a way that is um, not you know the the problem with the driver head issue is if you you shrink the head and now you're going to have a whole generation of people who've never played a club uh let's say 300 cc or 350 whatever the number is and they could be severely disadvantaged and is that too stark of a change on the other hand we're just talking about elite players and so anyway those are problems we'll deal with when they actually come out with a report that actually says they're concerned and have decided it's time to act <laughs> Which, reckon, I believe them, but I, I actually say, see it. Do you reckon they will? There seems to be a lot of feeling it that seems like something's going to happen. They seem to, yeah, they seem to be telegraphing, and not to me, but to a no, lot no. of other people, uh, which may explain um, our friend Brandel Shambly's uh, recent... Um, uh, <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is... I think in America they call it a flip-flop, don't they? Isn't it a no, flip-flop? No, it's a reiteration of his position from, from seven years that he, that he wrote about seven years ago. <laughs> he started with, that's right, and he's come there back to... There's just a little gap in the middle there that, that somehow got... It was like it's like a tape. It's like the Nixon tapes, you know? It hey. just got, it's, it's gone. It's <laughs> There's just, a missing bit. Let's just... Uh, missing, you splice yeah. it together, it's like it, it never happened. Yeah. Clates, uh, Shaq's mentioned it twice. Let's talk about it because I do think it's important. Uh, like him or not, and there's plenty on both sides of the fence, Shambly, he's that polarizing figure. Like him or not, no question he's influential. I don't think you're on his Christmas card list, although you might now that he's come back into our camp. What's your take on the importance of Shambly singing from the correct song sheet as far as we're concerned with regards to bifurcation and the distance of the ball. It feels to me like it might be quite important. A lot of people are talking about distance because Chambly's now come out and said he's switched back to this side. Yeah, I'm not sure why they would listen to him more than you listen to Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas or Jeff Shackelford or Tom Doak or Tom Weisskopf. But, yeah, I guess he's got a platform and it was good that he, in that podcast with Jaime, that he um, conveniently forgot that he'd, which is, as Shaq said, he's, yeah, you know, I said this seven years ago, but in the end of any five years, I argued black and blue that black and blue that I changed my mind. So, look, it's uh, I, the more influential people who speak on the side we're on, the better, I think. And I don't see any sensible argument from the other side. No, well, any I, argument. I, 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 you know, I've never Frankly. heard one argument that makes any sense to me that why well, the players are better. Well, that's not well. You know, we, we did that test with Lucas Herbert, who at the time was a top hundred player in the world, and he was. 25, it, well, well, his club head speed with the steel shafted wooden head of persimmon drive was it was five miles now less, which equates to, what is it, three yards every mile an yeah. hour, five yards? So it's, 15 or 20 yards. Know, yeah, so it clearly it was the exact same player was hitting the ball 30 yards shorter with it. And you've still got the Gary Woodland photo that he may still be ruining ever having put out there because you jumped yeah. on it with the screenshot and regularly yeah. uh, send it back out. Jack, while Clates was talking there, I thought of something interesting. In reality, we actually don't hear much from the uh, pro-distance lobby, really, do we? We tend to make their argument for them. We assume what their argument will be, and then we argue against it. But there's not a lot of proactive discussion of why you know that we should continue to pursue distance as, a, yeah. as an end in it itself have, there isn't yeah. much is there really no it seems to be dying down um but i because i think of a i mean there's a combination of elements uh we've probably uh 
improved our uh, our way of, of explaining this issue. People have seen it before their eyes. They've seen slow play issues caused by it. Um, and then there's uh, a refreshingly a younger group of of very influential people uh, in the golf world and social media who are making comments. Um, you know, Andy at the fried egg, the no laying up guys, uh, occasionally kind of, um, uh, will, will mock some of this stuff. Um, that, uh, Zach Blair has been fantastic on this, um, because he was, you know, he was with a certain company and it was hard for him probably to take that stand. He probably heard a little bit about it, but I'm, I'm happy he did because he, he and, and, and they know it's coming from the same place that it comes from for us. It's not because we're when we want to hurt uh, manufacturers in some way. We, we want the game to be better and we want the game to be more interesting. And um, and, and, and we don't necessarily want to take these tools away from the everyday golfer. It really is more about making the pro game better and and maintaining certain uh, standards and, and basics of what tested a player and what was important over the over the years it's never going to be exactly the same so i think more people recognize that mm-hmm. um and then when you know the, the the pga tour and the pga of america took their position um recently i think that was eye-opening for people because it was such a shallow position um from the from the club pro point of view that the pga of america was trying to protect them well none of them really sell clubs anymore so um that's gone to big shops and those big shops by the way may just start to find competition from online subscription or the manufacturers doing their own subscription mm, yeah, so sales, it's funny right? how that all works um yeah. but uh you wait long enough and these these influences change and then um uh, so i mean i think that that position was ludicrous to the golf pros they're saying, wow, my organization uh, needs to come talk to me. I mean, I had several pros say, yeah, they need to come talk to me about how our, our par fives are backing up and, and uh, or our screen speeds are just killing us on pace or whatever it is. And then the tour taking that stand, uh, again, they just, they just didn't have much, they, they don't have much behind their, their position um, other than chicks dig the long ball and everybody wants to see power and, and uh, that we 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 know that's just a, a just a mind-bogglingly shallow, short-sighted uh, for, for and and when you see what's going on on the tour, where they redu- where their only solution to slow play is field size, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, take and away Dinah, opportunities. That's right. Sixty-nine players uh, were at uh, Medina, and they were still taking. Uh, 440 to, to five hours. And there were people saying, you know, I was, see, the pace was better, but smaller feels like four hours and 40 <laughs> minutes for the best players in the world, making a crap load of birdies, mm. not losing balls. Um, greens weren't crazy fast. I mean, that was deplorably slow for given all that. Um, so all the, you know, I think their positions have looked silly. And then I think, uh, you know, to some people, it's not a lot, but some watchers have seen Martin Slumbers starting to make some comments, and I think that's where uh, partly where Brandel Shambley came around. Martin is is going to be the most important person in this whole thing because he is very likable and and makes the case in a way that is uh, sounds like somebody who's thought of everybody's mm. interests. Palatable, and uh, Palatable we need that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mike Davis has that same view, but Mike's got a an audience of people who who just just can't stand him so he can make the same argument but he's he's got a certain credibility issue on some setup things or whatever and so 
it doesn't sound as powerful coming from him as it does from Martin. Quick rabbit hole, Shaq. Do you feel any growing animosity towards the PGA Tour, or is that just the bubble that I live in amongst no, fans? I, have, I mean, the tour uh, itself, well, the organization. Go down that rabbit hole if you want to talk. I have gotten a ton of uh, email and had some interesting conversations down at the World Amateur with people about the FedEx Cup. That that mm, talk was about very that negative yeah. for the tour, yeah. um, but uh, I haven't seen – a whole lot, because not many people know that position on distance. But now I haven't really sensed the. I mean, what are you? What are you like? In what way are you? Well, in money? Or, uh, or, well, or, I feel like that. I do. I spend way too much time on Twitter. Obviously, I don't do Facebook or any of the other social media things. But I feel like in the circle, the bubble that I, you know, sort of wander around in, there's a real animosity building towards the PGA Tour, who are starting to be seen as. Um, not just neutral. I think we used to just look at Fincher and go, he's essentially neutral, you know, the tour is just vanilla. But they're starting to take stances on things, like you said, with the distancing, where people are saying, actually, you know, I really disagree with that. The money thing that you mentioned, I think that, the FedEx Cup, the 15 million, we're going to talk about that in a minute because I know you had a poll on the website. You were surprised by people's reaction. And I got a real sense down here. I think I might have written about it and got quite a bit of reaction that people are just starting to think $15 million is just so in your face. I don't know. I feel like I, I see a lot more anti-tour comment than I used to, uh, specifically okay. anti-PGA Tour. But I, I, I could be wrong. As I said, I move in certain circles where that's probably did, the norm. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I sense an end-of-the-year fatigue and a, and a fatigue with the uh, the relentlessness of the push on FedEx. I, I think the money, a lot of the money disdain came from more from the pushing than the actual dollar figure, but I, I really don't, I don't actually know. But that's kind of my sense. I think they just, they came right on top of the majors and pushed this thing and it and it, it wore a lot of people out, um, and and I think uh, the fan uh, has kind of spoken in that way with 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 the ratings and different things. But um, then anyway, the number thing. Do you I mean you want to mention the money? Yeah, yeah. So you, you ran a poll on. Well, your yeah, website. I just did it last night, so I yeah. haven't even looked today. I, I'm hoping to wait till I want to give it a few days. It's mm-hmm. a holiday here, so. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, so I went down to this world amateur to South Carolina and, uh, a, a golf crowd, a little older crowd, um, uh, participating. And, uh, I was probably one of like six registered Democrats in the building. And, <laughs> and the, did they make the you event. wear some sort of, <laughs> some no, sort but of a tag or? did let everybody know I was from California and they actually booed the, yeah. the six <laughs> economy in the world uh the left where, where capitalism is thriving out here uh, and they're pooing us but anyway um and it was fascinating how many people either mentioned it directly to me or to uh, other people like charlie or Paige Branick was there hank haney uh shared this view and he got it from a lot of people that that that's that $15 million and the push for that was, was unseemly to them. They were uncomfortable with that. And they found it, some found it, they couldn't quite explain what, what it was they didn't like. And then others were just, that was just disgusting. And how does an organization that's so great with, with charitable fundraising, not have a charitable component. And, and I, I even was surprised. I thought Rory being, uh, as self-aware and, and smart as he is, might even say at the trophy ceremony, by the way, I'm giving $5 million to, to whatever, the, the, my, the East Lake Foundation or my foundation or something. Um, and it, there was sort of a, a hard push on the broadcast because that was the compelling element. I always thought that would be exciting to people and that that would be 
that would create pressure. And I think it did, but I just never guessed in a sport where, where it's generally a sport where people are very much pro make as much as you can, um, that, that, that it was offensive. That, that really floored me. That is it. There's a line running, isn't it? Yeah. Golfers are underpaid. This one reared its head again (laughs) during the last couple of weeks. In the U S compared to other athletes, in some ways, um, they are. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of why that narrative also shocked me. It's, it's like, well, it's a bonus pool. It just happens Mm. to be one you, you see out front, but you still had to play at Eastlake. Um, and and obviously the other thing you have to couple in with this is is the the scoring system oh. really offended <laughs> an amazingly large audience. I'm sure they'll do market research. We'll never see it, but that also I think bothered people. You you sh- you didn't seem as bothered by it by a lot of us. I was horrified right from the moment they announced it, right up until it unfolded. And funnily enough kind of felt indifferent towards it once it got mm-hmm. underway, which is probably, I guess, what they know. But you seem to not mind it right from the get-go. How did you feel about the handicapping? I'll come to Clates in a minute, but how did you feel about the handicapping? Uh, it, it's, it, it didn't work to perfection, but I, I because it, it basically negated both the regular season and, and sort of the playoff events, so it really didn't work in the sense uh, that. But in terms of being able to just follow a tournament, it made the first day really interesting, and then the the problem with the FedEx Cup's been the uh, inability to follow these these stupid algorithms and going to the whiteboard and all that. It made it a very good, uh, clean, easy to follow tournament. So I guess in that sense, my expectations and my standards for that event are so low after the the, the other years that I found it it was fine. It just doesn't make sense, you know. The leader gets a two shot lead, but then it's. It's, one, it's one shot one gaps to there. Yeah, Charles Howell, who had a very nice year, was within five shots of of or, or three shots of people who were you know finishing in the top four of all the majors, and you know that kind of thing just is just bizarre. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, two majors. And I think it's Charles because he had a very good steady year, but yeah. he I pick on him because he's the one who actually issued the quote saying, "If I were." Uh, Justin, he would have been mad. He should have got more of an advantage, uh, maybe from the start. So yeah, two majors. It feels to me like they've kind of since the start of the FedEx Cup, the Tour Championship has been cheapened, and I guess after twelve years, yeah. it just isn't that important anymore. And yeah, handicap it if you like, because it's not important. Clay, so I want to come to you on both the fifteen million, because it was the real focus on the broadcast. This putt's for a million, and this putt's worth this. And we saw Paul Casey lag a five footer on the last, because I'm guessing he kind of <laughs> yeah. knew what it was worth. So, so thoughts on that, and then your thoughts on the handicap scoring systems. I felt like you were maybe a wait and see guy on that as well, but I wonder whether there's a different attitude outside America towards money. I felt like most. Most people here were kind of like fifteen million for one. That's a bit over the top, isn't it? Well, it was how much they were talking in the end about. On the Masters, does it well? Where they, I mean, it goes a little over the top there with the patrons and all that stuff. But they never mentioned the money. And no, you know, I don't care. If Brooks kept has got apart from a million dollars. I, you know, I couldn't keep. It would fall out of his pocket, and he wouldn't even notice it. <laughs> it's probably not quite <laughs> that bad, Clay's, But I think we get your broader point. Yes, yeah, and I think perhaps people are offended by the fifteen million when they consider that Jack Nicholas won. Five and a half million in his whole career. Mm-hmm. This seems so out of balance with how much players have made in the past. And it just, I, I get the argument that you know America has obscene wages for the top sportsmen over there. I mean, what those baseball players make and footballers make is ridiculous. But and, and golf in comparison is nowhere near as much. But it does seem an awful lot. Fifteen million for. But yeah, going back to the point about the PGA Tour, I wrote down here that the unpopularity of the or the perceived unpopularity of the tour is outside of America, I don't think that 
and people inside America understand how much they're squeezing the other tours in the world, how much they hurt and seemingly don't care about because it's not their job to care about them really. It's how much their schedule hurts places like Australia and um, South Africa and you know, Japan perhaps. You the know, rest the of the other world. Places that, the rest of the world that used to kind of have that window at the end of the year to be able to attract good fields. And, but, of course, the money is, you know, the players make – I mean, Nicholas used to come down and play in Australia. I don't know how much he got paid. Certainly one year he put his appearance fee into the prize money at the Australia Open. Yeah. Uh, I think but, that – You know, the, the appearance money these guys are asking is amazingly high, crazy, I think, which goes to the point of is the FedEx Cup just a way to pay out appearance money? You know, is the, is the bonus money, appearance money, by another name, it just gets paid in one lot out at the end of the year? Because Rory could go and make $15 million by hawking himself around the world and getting paid 2 and $3 million a week to play. Um, it is, but they still have to compete at yeah. the end. So it's yeah. more about, you know, uh, about yeah. big, getting a big sponsor. And and, and remember, the, the, the tour executives have bonuses based on growing purses, growing opportunities. So they're incentivized to, to have this thing. Um, and... So it's it's a it's it's lucrative for a lot of different people, but yeah, it's it's a it's it's it isn't a forced it's an a it, well, but see that was my problem with the way the scoring worked out. Rory and Brooks and the people who had great years were really not rewarded in this bonus mm. structure in this appearance structure, as you're putting it, and that's what I, is ironic. I think will have to change because they just. Next year, when they when the when the tour is calling and saying, "Hey, you played so and so last year. Why aren't you playing there this year?" It's like, "Well, I don't need the points. So, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't need to play there. You guys are just going to wipe it out. My yeah. my good work anyway. At the end, so turn up for the last two. Yeah. They they just have got to keep tweaking this if they want because the concept is good that you would you would be rewarded for playing more events during the year and that that concept was good. But everything they're doing is. Is is cutting into that WGC events cut into that um, need to play more because it's easy points, easy money, um, world ranking uh, uh, cabal kind of uh, <laughs> kicks in, and you could keep your status. So they they have all these different uh, competing forces, and right now the money is going to start killing some of these uh, lesser events, or they're going to kill uh, off these ideas of incentivizing players to play more. We might, we might see the end of the year-round schedule. We might actually lose a few tournaments off the schedule. I think we're a ways from that. Well, that'd be, I mean, that's... <laughs> that'd be the ultimate the, answer, isn't it? The next rat hole we should yeah. go down. But, uh, I just think that uh, when you look at the comments of late of, of Rory and, and Justin Rose, that's threatening to start snowballing yeah. into a... Uh, the schedule uh, needs to be blown up before you lock in your next contract. And um, They're just so the far, vocal ones, Shaq. Ooh. They're just the vocal ones. You can, yeah, you, you, I don't know. I haven't been to a tournament in a while to hear what players have hmm. to say. So, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Clint, I, just I thought to get... it was great for the majors, right? I mean, I felt like the majors in their little – it was just the right amount of pacing between each one. And as a fan, I think it made them stronger and more interesting. And But I don't know how you guys – that, that was my sense. It was well, a Mac great major. 
just think, been because it was good horses this year. <laughs> yeah. R- Rory made the point. He, he's made it twice now. He made it on the Cut podcast from the BBC. It's a very good show, Ian Carter and uh, Andrew Cotter. He made it this week on the Cut, and he made it, I think, around the time at East Lake, he even said, where he also interestingly said we shouldn't be focusing on the money as the, the draw to this tournament. I don't think that's putting us in favour with the everyman. But his idea is tennis, and the point he keeps making is tennis has this nine-month window between the Australian Open in January and right. the US Open going on now and uh, maybe <laughs> golf is so focused on those four events like tennis I mean I don't know any other tennis events I couldn't name you another tennis tournament there's probably a lot of non-golf fans who could name the four majors but none of their the, he might make a point about that the FedEx Cup's not breaking through with non-golfers is it maybe that's the plan for no. it I know that we, I know we have no, championship no, season no. now which is the majors plus the players plus the FedEx Cup but I don't think that's extending beyond I think he makes a reasonable point about that the interest in the game being longer than just it all got compressed into such a small amount of time. It feels yeah. like it felt different. No, no question. So yeah, maybe for the and golf. Like it weakened it weakened the events around uh, the majors. I did a piece for Golf Week and looked at all the strength of field, and the only event that really two events did better: the Canadian moving to the week before the U.S. Open. Although I would probably attribute that to to a golf course the players love mm-hmm. um and we'll probably get better because martin ebert's going to do a, a restoration plan there but the players love that golf course and so they they showed up the week before the open and then the scottish open had a better field i don't think that'll happen next year if they don't um figure out whatever it is uh, the players didn't like um in that in the time between now and, and july so uh, everything else in between got weaker so to Rory's point, if you spread it out, yeah, you may be, you you may actually go back to strengthening mm. the surrounding events and pay, and the pacing uh, might be better for. I mean, Rose's point was selfish in terms of players, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, I, I, it's a legitimate thing that needs to be listened to. And Nicholas didn't Clayton didn't Nicholas kind of what did he say about? He said it's harder to win a Grand Slam now or easier. I can't even. They wanted us to discuss it on Morning Drive, and I said, I'm not going to take the opposite view of Jack Nicholas. okay? I'm playing in Grand Slam events. <laughs> <laughs> Good stance. Um, yeah. I, I didn't hear that. that yeah, I didn't hear that. Sorry, Clayton. You know, you know, okay, I'll look it up and see what he said. I, I know I know he had a view on the new season Okay, um, that might echo what, what Rose was saying. Okay, you, you looked that up while we hear from Clayton's case. I wanted to hear from you about the handicapping. I, I, I don't know what your stance was on that. And then on some of those points that uh, Shaq was just making about the schedule and what's, it, what's right for golf? What should golf do with scheduling and being in the public well, eye? I think tennis is better. I mean, the Australian Open is a great tournament in January. It's an amazing week in Melbourne. And they're playing the US Open now, so the majors get spread out more. I mean, tennis is more physically demanding, so perhaps the players need a greater break, and they, they go for two weeks. But, I mean, you know, I, it's kind of a bit of a joke with me, but I, I still think the PGA should move every mm. now and then. I, you know, the PGA is an unlo- it's by far the unloved major of the four. The Australian Open was a dud tournament for years until Paul McNamee took it over and moved to Melbourne Park, and he created what's now probably the equal of the others. And I don't, I think the PGA every once every Olympic year could would do itself a lot of good to move around the world. Mm. I think you know you would never put three majors now in America if you were starting again. Tennis has a much better schedule in terms of where the majors are played. I mean, you're obviously not going to go to that type of arrangement, but 
I, I think the PJ would do itself a lot of good by getting that tournament out of America once every four years. Just to, well, yeah, just I, the goodwill it would generate clients. Well, because I've watched what happened to the Australian Open, how the yeah. Australian Open reinvigorated itself by and, and reinvented itself hmm. through money and you know great management. The PJ is never going to – it's always going to be the fourth major, even though it's got the best field probably. Always going to be the fourth major, the unloved major. Not, not many people, I mean, certainly in Australia, no one really cares about the PGA. They love the US Open, they mm. love the British Open, and they love the Masters. They love watching it. It's compulsory viewing, amazing tournaments. And I think the PGA could do what the Australian Open tennis did and elevate its popularity and status. And it's love an identity issue, isn't moving it? Moving occasionally. PGA yeah, doesn't have an identity. It's US Open light or PGA Tour heavy. Take your pick. But either way, it's a different brand of something else. It's not its own – hasn't got its own identity. And an international schedule, like, definitely give it – it was played in Japan once every four years. came to Australia, went to China. Yeah. It could go to – could go to – and the goodwill, and apart from anything else, this is what my argument's always been for the PGA, there are PGAs in every country where, where, where the PGA would be likely to go. And that is one is that, giant yeah. international brotherhood that could all be lifted by the biggest of them all, the USPGA, simply by taking it offshore, once, as you say, once every four years, not even every year. They started playing the long-term game, the 100-year game, where their aim was, in 100 years' time, we want to be the most important tournament in the world. Mm-hmm. That's, it. That's the only chance they've got, I think. And, they, and if, if they want to keep being the fourth major and the unloved major, which is kind of an unfair appetite, really, but... You know, it's definitely the fourth of them, and it's always going to be the fourth of them until they do something different. Mm-hmm. And clearly, taking it around the world and doing what doing what tennis has done, and having you know Australia, Paris, London, New York is an amazing schedule for majors. Yeah. Four great cities, yeah, that's right, and four great tournaments with variety in the surfaces and the, the weather and the you know the, the fans and the, the whole thing. Four really distinct events. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm being the drum now, but. You know, that's what the PGA should do. Yeah. And people, you know, the argument is, what's well, the PGA of America? Why would they move it? Well, there are lots of reasons why they should move it. I actually think it would be a great thing for the PGA of America mm. to do that. Yeah. And they could tie in with the PGA of South Africa and Australia yeah. and New Zealand and Japan. And as you say, there are PGAs all over the world. We could all use the help. It wouldn't harm the PGA of Australia Absolutely. if there was some sort of joint venture that went for four years between them and the United States PGA. I mean, why do they need to be separate? They're not competing with each other. They're, they're all part of the same thing. Uh, enough about that. Quickly on handicapping, Clays. I feel like you were just kind of indifferent about that, were you? I kind of lost track of it. All I, all I, all I cared about was who's winning the tournament. I didn't care about the handicap. No. I just kind of didn't pay no attention to it. But Rory won the tournament, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He won like, both. He won the yeah, scratch well, and the net, what, so he got both well, trophies. Yeah, well, good. And that's all I cared about. Yeah, good on him. Who, and, who, uh, who won the tournament? Rory won? Okay, fine, good. Yeah. <laughs> and so, the 15 so, Yeah. Just on the... So I just did, it just seems such a stupid way to run that. Yeah. Well, professional golf. I can't understand professional golfers signing on for it. Last one about uh, the FedEx Cup. We'll move on to one or two other things quickly before we wrap it up. It, it You were talking about the... The view of the PGA Tour from outside of America and the the damage it does to places like Australia, and I think the FedEx Cup really points it out. So Rory just won fifteen million plus whatever he earned during the year. How much harder does it make it for us to try to get him down here to play? Rory's probably not a great example because he makes decisions, but it's telling, isn't it, Clates? With the money like that, it's no wonder that we struggle to get a good field for the Australian Open, which should be an important tournament in world golf, shouldn't it? Well, it should be, but. The prize money hasn't kept up because it's difficult to attract lots of money. And if you don't have, you know, a whole bunch of megastars, then it's hard to do that. 
Um, we just can't afford it, can we? We just can't afford it. It's hard enough to get all the Australian players. Yeah. I mean, Adam's not playing this year because Jason is playing. I assume that's what why he's not playing. I don't know, but you know, Cameron Smith is great to playing. Leishman's coming back. So at this point, it seems all we can do is just get our own players back, mm. which is which should be an automatic. It should be a given that our best players come and play the Open. I can't. Just really annoys me that they all don't come and play because Thompson and Nagel. Never missed one, did they? They yeah, wouldn't. Never missed. Well, it, well, that's not entirely true because they used to play in August, mm. which was a stupid day. <laughs> well, that's not Thompson so, or Nagel's fault, is it? Let's be fair. Yeah, no. Yeah. But once they moved it to the back end of the year, then yeah. they, of course they played. And Jack and Gary and Al played a lot because they had to deal with Slatingers. Yeah. And for the time, that was probably pretty good money off the golf course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so many so, factors, so, isn't there? So many factors. Know, but it's, um, you know, it's a interesting. I mean, the government have invented, well, the, the Vic Opens turned out to be the best event in Australia. Not, mm. the, not the most cherished title, but it's the best event. Certainly the best event for spectators, the best guy, and the players seem to like it more than all the others too. So this, uh, they're, they're clearly doing doing something right down there. Uh, quickly want to touch on the LPGA. Right. Yes. I, Sorry, wait, you I found it? it. I found it. Okay, what He's did he told say? This, this, you know, i got to do a blog post on this just because, you know, <laughs> I want to keep keep making sure that everybody at PGA Tour headquarters just uh, loves my blog. Um, this was on an interview with uh, Five Live, Radio 5 Live, so BBC with uh, Ian Carter. Um, this must have been during, well, it says this article is from a month ago. So, Open, huh, you reckon? I don't know when this, I don't know when he, when he would have done this. I'll, Ask Ian um, when this was. Uh, so I'll just read you the quote. I won't do it in my Jack Nicholas voice because um, <laughs> I don't want to be mocking <laughs> the greatest ever. Uh, I don't like the new major schedule from the standpoint that if you have an injury or if you're struggling with one tournament, all of a sudden the other one follows too closely to get it back. 18 time major winner Jack Nicholas told uh, BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm not sure that that's really a good thing for the game of golf to have all of your tournaments in about three and a half months. And I don't think it's good for the other tournaments on the tour. The guys have got to skip a lot of tournaments. You saw that this year guys weren't playing in between majors. And I think that's a shame for the tour. I know the almighty dollar is important, but I don't think it's so important that you really lose out on the tradition of great tournaments of the great tournaments that have been played for years and years and years. Just it's like he was listening to us just now <laughs> with the Australian open in mind. And then he just said, Oh, it was at the, op- Oh no, no, no. It was, it was, I believe, in response. It looks like he, uh, Ian asked him about Justin Rose's comments uh-huh. and uh, about this, the thing being too condensed, and Jack uh, Nicholas concurred. There you go. So there you go. Well, well done, Ian. Well so done, Justin. We just end the topic, leaving it to Jack Nicholas. It's uh, so that's really, uh, and of course, what I'm fascinated most by is that he doesn't pay much attention to the PGA tour anymore think, no. except his tournament and the Honda a little bit. And so for him to note that these other tournaments in between are getting hurt means that he's had quite a few discussions with people behind the scenes about that. And, uh, cause he doesn't like to come out and be critical of something like this, especially cause he endorsed it. And, uh, oh, did he initially? Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially they needed his, his blessing because the memorial, would be sandwiched in between uh, the PGA and the U.S. Okay. Open. Yeah, 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 and there was course. a very good chance he was going to lose uh-huh. uh, quality of, of uh, field. Uh, it, it would dip a little bit. And I think because of who he is, it, it managed. You know, that's actually one tournament I did not look at two weeks out from the U.S. Open. But So he was consulted considerably on that. And um, 
And I, but I, I get the sense reading these, this, this quote now that he, he sees in future years, the Memorial's going to have a, a hard time mm-hmm. and you know, it's going, and then from television, well, anyway, we won't go down the television no, no, rabbit hole. You guys haven't <laughs> got time for that. So, isn't course, it one, um, sorry, sorry, isn't it wonderful to be able Jack, to pick and choose what you listen to from Jack Nicholas? You know, people, you know, don't listen to him about the ball, but we listen to him about the schedule. You know, this, this you know, we'll well, talk, nobody listens either. So that's crazy, why I'm going to do a blog post on it. Yeah. I, but I knew he said something earlier in the year, but I haven't been able to find that okay. one. Fantastic. Um, I feel like he was he was leery of it going in, so he's yeah. pretty consistent on this. Is I believe, I believe. Good on you, Jack Clates. You were saying something. I was just saying, Jack, of course, did win a PGA Championship in February one year. Right, right. Um, you don't know that? I didn't yeah. know that, so there you they go. Played the, they played the 1970 PGA, 71. Dave Stockton, when did he win? 70, 71 PGA. Do we know why? Why it was played in February? Well, well, they played in Florida in February. So Stockton was only the PGA champion for six months. Hmm. It's because it was at, in Florida. I believe it was, it was just weather. Florida. It was just to yeah. play it in better weather, and oh. it was their venue, but their 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 course that they're now <clears throat> abandoning. <laughs> not entirely abandoned, but they're 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 leaving uh, Florida, their headquarters for uh, another development. Yeah, Texas, yeah. Uh, Frisco, Texas. Yes. Frisco, Texas. Uh, so, uh, Clay, why did Nicholas love Australia so much? I mean, besides all the obvious reasons, that was a that was a big trip for him to make. Was there wasn't there was there a company that that made well, it worth his while. Yeah, yeah. McCormick did a deal with Slazengers. Well, Dunlop Slazenger, which right. was the same company. Right. So Palmer played Dunlop Clubs. Player and Nicholas and Devlin played Slazenger. So they got – my guess is that at least 30%, probably more, of golf clubs sold in Australia in the 60s up until the mid-70s were had their names on them. Yeah. So, so, so they got royalties from all the club sales, which I, I read McCormick – McCormick wrote somewhere that for the time it was a pretty significant deal. Mm. So they came down to, to so, and they played exhibitions in bizarre places oh, like country yeah. towns. Nicholas played at Shepparton, which is two hours north of Melbourne. Gary Player played a little country course called Yarram. In fact, how's this for an exhibition? I opened a golf course in Adelaide called Flagstaff Hill, which I've never, I've never been, or well, I have been there, but I've never played it. Not a very good course in Adelaide. Certainly not one of the best five. This is an exhibition match. Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, Bruce Devlin. A one-day exhibition. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. So try pulling that together. <laughs> you, can't, you can yeah. never feel like that yeah. in, a, in, a, in anything that wasn't a major anymore. I wonder whether – obviously times were different, so, Jack. But, so, yeah. Sorry. So, uh, so, sorry, Jack. So just those guys were incredible for golf in Australia. Yeah. I mean, they brought golf to life in Australia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched yeah. these guys play. It was incredible what they did. Yeah. The, well, and, and, I, and I, I'm sure he loved the people and the travel uh, once he was there and all that. I, I'm sure it was great, but it was you know, it was a big deal. So that's why I wondered. Yeah. And that's a fascinating thing you bring up, by the way, that he that he was incentivized to 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 promote certain equipment. That's what's uh, ironic about today's players when they get defensive. I mean, they're paid well by these companies, but it's not like they have royalties and they're gonna. A benefit from from driver sales or something, but they act like they 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 respond often like they do. Mm. Clates, weren't the clubs because, different? Well, well did, did they use here? Nicholas and Palmer yeah. and Player? They they yeah, leave their sets in yeah, America they, and pick up new ones when they got here. They played with the golf. Yeah, they played with the Australian made clubs. Yeah, but I, I played for a few years with a set Ray Floyd had left behind here. In fact, the, the, the pro Kingston Heath had them, and I used them for a bunch of years, about three or four years. But 
Um, the guy, there was a great club maker. Stadion just had a great club maker in Sydney who, who made the first set of Australian blades, that, those Max Wright clubs that were so popular. Mm. And the first set of those just had Slayton just stamped on the back and Lee Torino used them. And um, he would send Palmer the clubs he was going to use. He would send them to America in the middle of the year. Palmer would fiddle with them, he'd grind them and, you know, put, put his own grips on them. But he would send the heads there and then bring them back and play with them. Mm. Man. So, but they made great clubs in, in Sydney at Slayton. Just yeah. brilliant clubs. Yeah, yeah, those Australian blades are... Yeah, they're still useful. still legendary, aren't they? The Australian blades. They're uh, I've even got to set myself. Well, a friend of mine came for Torino in 1969, and he left and he gave him the clubs. I mean, Greg Alexander, Greg Alexander was the guy's name, and he, he played with those clubs for two or three years. And then Torino came back in 1982. He said, "You just love those clubs." I gave him. He said, "Yeah." He said, "Can I have them back?" He said, "Yeah, of course." You can. <laughs> so, so <laughs> back. But they, were, they, they were a beautiful set of irons. They were an amazing set of clubs. There you go. I didn't expect to end up there, Shaq. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to. <laughs> no, I know no, no. It's, a, it's wonderful. Before, but I, yeah. So. Wonderful, wonderful. So I assume the residual part of that contract would have been the interest, the, the ongoing payments. So an appearance fee, Rory comes down or Jordan or Justin, whoever comes down, and we give them the one or the two or the three million, and the tax comes out and they go back home, and that's the end of that. But there would be a real appeal, I would imagine, in the 60s and 70s for the ongoing income that that would have provided. Every time a set of clubs gets sold in Australia, ka-ching, Jack gets a cut. Yeah. And that you can see how that would have some real appeal when the money wasn't as big. I mean, they were doing all right, thank you very much. Then None of them were struggling yeah. for a quid at the time, but they weren't doing anything like what we see now. So... More incentive, uh, certainly, at that time. Last two things to wrap up. Uh, Clates, LPGA winning scores. I think you were on a bit of a rant before we pressed the record button. You're 21 under again, won this week. Hannah Green, well done, Hannah. Uh, Favourite of ours, I know. Yours and mine, Clates. Lovely girl, Hannah. And really well, yeah, yeah she sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I just I did an article with Rick Young, the equipment guy in Canada, about how low the scores on the LPGA Tour are. I think it ties in a bit with the equipment stuff. I think if we had more difficult equipment to use the players would look better i think if the lp as, as good as the lpj players are i think if they played if they aim for what peter thompson thought was about the right number which was 468s you know, instead of 20 under pars winning a lot of weeks if, if they got it back down to 15 that would i think it would make them look better than they i mean they're terrific players i think if the scores were higher they would in fact look better if that makes any sense because yeah. i think it's too easy to, to throw around the accusation well, the courses are a joke. They're way too easy. Mm. And, and given that there are five players statistically longer on that, on that tour now than Greg Norman was in 1985, 6,700 yards is not doing it not for them. Not enough. Yes, on soft greens with no wind. Yeah, it was an anyway. interesting piece that you uh, that you did with with Rick. Can I just pull you up on something, though, Clates? And we're all guilty of this. We bang on about score not being any measure of the quality of the golfers about the courses, and yet yeah. we're pointing yeah, to the scores that? and saying, "What's going on with the scoring? The scoring should be higher." Is there any? Is there a bit of hypocrisy in in all of that? Well, no. Well, no. Well, no I, I don't think they've kept up with how far the, the best women hit the ball. So. I played you know, play with Sue O a lot at Metro. Where, good where they, where they played the World Cup last year, championship course, Australian Open venue, so difficult. And we played 7,000. When we played, we played off the back of the men's tees at 7,000 yards, and she has no problem handling that length. And, and it's windy and bouncy, and the greens are firm. So to go to a course that's, you know, what's the average length to on the open? 6,006 or 6,700 yards with no wind on soft greens, it's not very difficult for them. And I don't think it shows off their skills that well. Mm. 
Virginia and Cal, what you got? 116 holes out of bogey. 114. And missed a three-footer last week. It was, yeah. Well, so that happened. One once everyone was talking about it, Clay, she had no hope, did she? <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was on the cards right from the very first time that first story appeared when she was at 106 or whatever it was, the clock. Uh, so I just think they've been slow to adapt to how well those players play now. And I, you know, and I, I guess you could make the argument that the equipment's actually helped the women more than the men. The lighter, longer graphite charts and hybrids have really helped women more than the men on the PGA Tour. Possibly. Does that Shack. make any sense? Um, yeah, well, they, I, I yes. haven't seen the number, but I, I believe their driving distance average is, is, is the big eye-opener this year. The men, the men were down a little bit, but I believe the women are... Didn't, didn't uh, Cyrac write a story saying they're heading for 300? They're yeah, going to have their first I haven't seen the actual... Yeah, I haven't seen the number, but they're definitely uh, they're definitely getting up there, and their their the, their commissioner is very sensitive to this. Uh, I mean, I've heard he's one of the most vocal opponents of something, fearing it'll hurt the LPGA product, which I think unfortunately exposes a lack of golf knowledge on his part. That's that's uh, that's that's disturbing. Um, but we'll we'll see. I, I don't I don't well. It depends on how they approach it, but we don't know how they would be impacted. What's your take on uh, the LPGA, Shaq, and the scoring and some of those issues that Clayton's just touched on there? Well, they're really at a bad spot right now when you combine that they don't have that. They've, they've, they've been so spoiled by having a, a mega star pretty much in every era for a while. And, you know, big, big name Hall of Famers who you know they're all-time greats. And they don't really have that right now. And, and NB is kind of hanging in there and, and she's got a little of that, but otherwise this, um, there's a, there's a, there's been an evening out of, uh, in it, in this, every, every tour goes through this, but it, it's right now with them. Um, I feel like the, the, uh, the, the leveling of their playing field by equipment is, is the most, uh, profound of the, uh, of all the tours. Talk and, about that a bit. We talk about leveling the playing field. What do you mean by that? Well, it just it just feels like that 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 they're they're all very good, but that really really great player may be having a hard time separating herself um, be, because of the equipment and and that player who was a, a natural uh, great ball striker and Amy Alcott or something like that uh, from from past eras and uh, it, it just feels like it's being nullified a little bit more on their tour by both the so-so golf courses that they often play or, but mostly by, by, um, technology. And, um, it just feels like it's accentuated there a little bit more. That's mm, all. Interesting. Um, I, I feel like week in and week out, the LPGA to me feels more interesting. That's probably a product of two things. One, less interest in the PGA Tour for all the reasons we've discussed about it being less interesting to watch the one-dimensional sort of golf you see on the PGA Tour. I was excited about La Hinch and Portrush this year. I thought there was some terrific golf played there, and it was interesting golf to watch, less so week in and week out on the PGA Tour. It feels like the LPGA is more interesting to watch, Shaq, but maybe I'm on a – an island with that. I feel like a lot of people I know are sort of saying the same thing. And as we saw this, I think, with Medina. A lot of people turned off Medina and turned on the US amateur at Pinehurst because they preferred to watch that style of golf. Or is that just the people I know? Probably just the people you know. Right. Um, the ratings suggested not many people did that. And I did. And I, I was out, out cold in, in a very short amount of time. And I love Pinehurst. But, you know, it was basically just two very good college players. Hmm. Um, you know, the amateur, the amateur game. Now, now, what I said about the LPGA Tour, mm-hmm. take that, multiply it times 10, and you have men's amateur golf in the United States right now, yeah. which I, I think is um, 
is just yeah, it's just been ruined by uh, the encouragement of people turning pro early. It's it's probably been harmed by college golf's rise here, um, and and you kind of almost feel like the women's amateur game is is going to be stronger for a while because of where uh, their players are. You know, they either turn pro at eighteen or they they play college and they play an amateur career. We'll see what Miss um, Ruffles does, um, but. Um, and then the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur, I feel like, is going to really uh, mm-hmm. give them something kind of kind of special. And and I mean, look at look at the attention. Well, I don't know how much you get, but the, the attention that the that the two players who were in that last pairing oh. have gotten since they've been on the LPGA tour uh, is just uh, it's a, it, you can't buy that. And they made them that event made them stars, and you're going to be intrigued to watch them for as long as they're playing. That was a hell of a start to a tournament career, if that's the right word, wasn't it? You couldn't yeah. have asked for any more than what oh, those yeah, two put on yeah, around the back line. Time that one. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was about as good as that. Might have been the most compelling golf all year, do you reckon, Clates? That was amazing was to watch good. that nine hole. Cup shows. What she made now? She's made. She's done well. Three hundred ninety thousand, pretty much. Yeah. Thirty thirty ninth in my list after twelve tournaments. It's a hell of a start. Yeah. She good. started at at the Women's British that last day. She she. I mean, it wasn't a great shot, but she was there. So, Fossey hasn't been quite as great, but uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's early. So, anyway, I I think that uh, I, I you hate to want to say that a sport needs star power, but. I think we really love golf's not an easy sport to watch, and so when you do, you want to to feel like you're watching somebody uh, exceptional, and and you're you're watching um, somebody emerge from all these really great talented players yeah. to be something extra special. It's so hard which to stand it. Which is it's, yeah, quite. To put the counter argument, that's a pretty American centric view when you consider what a megastar Sungung Park is in Korea. Yeah, and, and, and Asian golf. I mean, women's golf in Asia is incredibly popular. So, so whilst in America it probably struggles for the lack of, I mean, Lexi and the, the quarter sisters are the best of them probably. But um, in Asia, these women are mega stars up there. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge game in Japan and Korea and throughout Asia. I mean, Aria and her sister, who are you know, and Brooke Henderson's a god in Canada. Mm. How do we export so, that? Yeah. How do we export that? Because you're right. Well, it's, it's, it's staggering to say. I, mean, I think women's golfing career is much more popular than men's by a factor of yeah, nearly 10. Well, so the question for the LPJ in America is, you know, does it need Lexi or someone to stand up and dominate or you know, have, have some great years and grab that attention away from the Koreans who are – I mean, the three of them at the top of mate, they're all tremendous. I watched them – well, Jin Young Ko and John and Lee Six, I watched them play in Australia this year. I mean, they're tremendous players. You know, brilliant players. Mm. So, so it's a, it's a huge game in Asia, and, and the and the LPJ too is essentially a world tour now. I mean, they play play a lot of golf outside of the United States, but no major I in guess Asia. The question is, you know, there's there are two Americans in the top ten mm. on the main list. Mm. So, the question for does it need, you know. The American superstar that Nancy Lopez was was she the last great American superstar? Ooh, there's a question. Uh, after Nancy Lopez, yeah, superstar, superstar? probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's yeah. been stars, yeah. but you're and right, so, superstars. And by the way, to bring this back to all of it, I really think Tiger was trying to send a coded message there in those recent comments that when you combine the money 
and you combine kind of the way the game is played, you're going to see very short careers. Yeah. And that's a problem for all yeah. these tours, yeah. you know, especially the LPGA tour where the careers generally are shorter. Mm-hmm. The women tend to retire uh, at a younger age and the men used to go to 45 and, and there's, how, there's no way no. you're not going to see Brooks Kepka out there grinding at, at, uh, <laughs> at 42. Yeah. I can see Rory's flat out said it and he had to apologize, but I actually kind of admired him for it. Yeah. You, know, you see me out here after I'm 40, uh, there's something's, something's going wrong. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've made some bad my, investments. Tommy <laughs> Chandler took all my money or something, but yeah. oh, that was probably not a good example. But um, so this idea that um, careers are going to get shorter is is a combination of of, of money and and I, I I really don't want to go down a rat hole, but I've started asking good players or teachers. I go, do you sense that you're that do you enjoy is golf fun? Do you really is this and George Gankus was great on this. I got him going on this, and he goes, you know, it really, these guys, it's just a job now, the kids. He, he, and, and he had no given no thought to the technology element because he was complaining about courses that weren't interesting because the bunkers just needed to be moved. And I'm like, no, George, let's, <laughs> let's, let's back up here a little bit. And it's a little harder to move those things than, than, it, than the way you're describing. But we got into a discussion about, is it, is it, do, do a lot of these guys like to, is it more fun for them to just try crazy stuff on the range? And do they really enjoy going out and playing? And he said, no, they don't enjoy playing as much. And he actually went into this idea that it it's too easy, um, that the scores are, are so good and that it, people could get flustered so quickly going out and shooting 68 in a college tournament and being, and not, you know, being in the middle of the pack. Um, He's seen all these different elements like that where things are just a little bit out of whack. And he hadn't really computed why and what, what the ties were and what the long-term impact was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, how much – I mean, we know how fun it is when, when you go for a par 5 and 2 and you just get it on the green and what a great feeling that is. I, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> it just doesn't – and that's a, that's a great feeling, a rush. I, they still get it on short par 4s. That's the one place where the good player gets that rush. Um, but otherwise, you know, is, it, is the game interesting? Uh, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's well, it's, what money, it's more like football than it used to be, isn't it? Clates, certainly as a professional career, get in, make your money, yeah. get out. And, and your yeah. body, Jason Day's going to struggle to walk in his 40s, isn't he? He already has well, I guess issues. You know, they're, they're, kidding, they're going at it so hard that mm. I guess uh, my assumption is there will be more guys who will get injured yeah. quicker yeah. than they used to. Yeah. That's another part. That's another. The, yeah, uh, the equipment allows them to go after it harder, but that will shorten careers too. Yeah. I think Tiger was kind of meant getting at that as well. Yeah. Is anybody else staggered at the number of sort of coaches and pros and good players and people at the, that <laughs> level of the game who have no interest and less understanding about the relationship between the player and the golf course? I'm always yeah. staggered that, that, that George Gankers could say, oh, you just need to move the bunkers. That's an extraordinary point of view yeah, to have, isn't I, it? I just was with Michael Breed and Hank Haney, and, and now Hank has really come around. Um, uh, he sounded like Clates. He was going, you're right. We were talking about 12 holes. Because if you started the game today, if you just blew it up and started today, it'd be 12 holes. And <laughs> I said, I feel like I've heard this before. That sounds very familiar. Um but yeah, no, Michael Breed, really bright guy, knows a lot about different elements of the game. Has a brother who's in the in the business, who's a really innovative course operator doing all these really cool 
kind of just nutty outside the box ways to make his facility work both for golf and then to keep the neighborhood, you know, things like that. But, you know, you still get into these kinds of discussions and, and that they, they get a little bit clouded by, by uh, whatever it is. I've heard Michael um, Breed talk and his solution was it costs nothing to go back 30 yards and mow a new tee. That, yeah, that which, was his position. Know, um, yeah, and that's, that's a fairly common. Yeah, it costs nothing to go and buy that house behind the back no, of the court here at Royal Melbourne. Only $4 million. You can knock it. the house over and move it. And make, uh, take, I think Marion just did that. From what I hear, I haven't asked Gail this yet, but I believe they just bought a house and moved the second green back. They did move the second green back. Yeah, well, they did do that. Wow. Did you say bought a house? They they bought a house. Well, I saw they moved the green back. Did they buy a house to do that? Yeah. Yeah, there was a house right behind it. So (laughs) Uh, so it's happening. I mean, it's happening. Speechless. And I know Augusta just doesn't want to go down this path for, for very various reasons. Um, but yeah, it's staggering. Here's and a- I to our earlier, to, to wrap this, to bring it back to our earlier conversation, it's things like that that are now happening where people used to shrug it off, and I don't sense they're shrugging, shrugging these things off anymore. Well, this has been and your line, hasn't it, Clay? Maybe we just need to let it get so crazy that people say, you know what, this is nuts. Yeah. And this is with a good yeah. economy here in the U.S., so... I think, again, it's fascinating that they were appalled by the money in the FedEx Cup mm. and they're appalled by these kinds of expenditures or silly things you do when times are good. I kind of expect it when times are not as good, uh-huh. but it's fascinating that it's happening yeah. in this environment. Let's round this out nicely. I just found the line in your story that, that I was reminded of when Shaq was talking there, Clates. Alistair McKenzie wrote in the early 1930s, and while he advised clubs to leave room behind tea so they could be moved back in the future... He never thought to advise them to buy the houses on the other side of the fences beyond. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've looked into your crystal ball there, Clates. Well, I can't believe they bought a house. What cost do we know? Oh, yeah. Houses aren't cheap, Shaq. Oh, no, yeah, it's a nice neighborhood. No, I'm sure it wasn't cheap, but, you know, I mean, for a club, uh, I'm, quite some, I'm sure you guys have clubs down there. We have a, a litany of clubs here who regret not having bought surrounding property uh not for this reason but just because then somebody uh built some ridiculous thing or they complained they bought it then they complained about the the golf balls you know and like the club looks at it goes why didn't we just buy that (laughs) and over the course of 20 years it would have been nothing to our members so um there is a, a history of that but but this is a we're talking about a masterpiece here where they just decided the game's uh going to keep evolving and so we're going to do this and the u.s open's probably going to come here and uh and the usga uh, knows all that so they have to weigh that and do they really want to keep uh seeing that happen wow what do we think about the quickly about the player of the year thing it has to be kept there, doesn't it of course yeah that was just that was just the hype machine trying to make the tour um feel like those tour events were uh, more meaningful. and If they keep pushing was, this narrative, Shaq, will they get there, this notion of championship season and adding the players to the to the list of majors? Are they going to get away with it, do you reckon? They're going to try. And, and I, by the way, I thought the debate was – I enjoyed the debate just because it's a chance to celebrate great years and argue a little bit about what means what. But, 
Kepka's record in the majors, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the three they played uh, uh, in together, he was 21 shots better and yeah. he was 18 shots better than the next person who played in all four. I mean, 18 shots better. Yeah. Uh, that's just incredible. It's a lot of golf. Xander Schauffele was 18 and under, I believe, in the majors this year. That's oh. incredible, yeah. first of all. Yeah. And then for somebody to be 36 under and to be 70 under – in the last three years, in, in which is eleven majors, he missed one because of an injury. Uh, it's it's just an unbelievable run he's on. Hmm. Just it's just staggering. I mean, I, I'm sure somebody will go back and look at other other runs in majors. Tiger's probably got something similar. For for a seemingly uh, um, uninteresting character, he's quite fascinating, isn't he? Kepka, and he seems to be getting more fascinating with each I passing know, year. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. He just rubs people the wrong way because of the kind of the monotone voice and and these big and and burly looking and uh, but he's actually just makes incredibly astute observations and 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 he's opinionated and he's not afraid to. And then it's just utterly. Uh, Clates, do you remember anybody besides Nicholas? Who basically was could just turn it on for majors. It's always been the other way around. The mm. people are great yeah. at the regular event, and then the major they stink. I, I, I who who does this? Where well, Hogan, Hogan, I suppose. Hogan, Hogan yes, but he didn't play. He hardly played, so it's it's kind of a weird. Yeah, comparison, but it is true. I mean, Jones obviously he was Jones, hammered, so yeah, good yeah. He he turned it up at the big ones, but and Thompson was great at. The Open Championship. <laughs> he's just yeah. going to keep bringing yeah. him up, Shaq. <laughs> he's just well, going to well, keep naming them. Exactly. Right. No, I think yeah. you're right. No, right. I mean, but in modern times, it's yeah, really it's, it's bizarre. It's rare, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. Woods just dominated. And great. Great. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I love that he, uh, he rises. Somebody yeah. rises to the occasion. We got we get so tired of people not rising they, to the occasion. There are similarities. I've heard a lot of comparisons between Kepka and Hogan, just in, in that attitude and the brusque nature. Hogan wasn't the yeah. most popular guy in his day, was he? With the other players and no, the media he, and all that, he he was well. He was fine off the course, but at, at the at the course mm. and as a competitor, he he was um, mm. uh, he was just didn't say anything. You know, there are all those great stories of Sneed kind of trying to mm-hmm. taunt him a little bit by just talking to him. And there was a great member of Riviera uh, told me a story: the sweetest man you've ever met. And, he, <laughs> and Hogan told him to go f himself uh, or something <laughs> to that extent. Uh, right before going out to the first tee. And as soon as he saw him after the round, he went, Bob, I had to apologize. I have to apologize. I'm sorry. I just had to get mad at somebody. I was a nervous wreck and I, I needed to get mad. So wow. he Kepka kind of is the same way. He needs a little bit of anger to kind of shed those, those jitters, I think. Mm. And the fuel is, uh, the way he plays. A lot of people don't play well, angry, but he plays well, angry Hogan did. And I'm sure there've been others. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Well, Brooks, there you go. If you're listening, don't panic. You won't be flying under the radar 20 to 30 years after being flying. You'll be revered like Hogan. It, it's, you've just got to wait your turn, mate. That's how it works. Uh, when you, he had some fun things to say about that body issue, didn't he? You know, people not having the balls to do it. Yeah, <laughs> now, getting mad stuff. about people thinking uh, Hogan <laughs> yeah. definitely did not ever do that. Um, no. He did not get he did not get mad at the at the people who criticized his Life magazine cover. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, yeah, that was weird. I don't know why he was kidding. I think he really. I think he's at that point where he's just he needs. He's got to find something to 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 get going to on. Ke- yeah, to keep him. Uh, well, he's still thinking about Brandel, who was right to criticize. I mean, losing weight 
for a magazine shoot in the middle of your career and and when we know golfers gaining and losing weight's never a good thing that that, that deserved to be criticized mm-hmm. yeah he's a funny one brandon isn't he you want to disagree with him all the time but you can't and then you want to agree with him all the time but you can't he always keeps you on your toes uh right. sorry he's that's a, all right keeps keeps it interesting yeah absolutely right. now that he's on our team again it's and it's his job this is the other thing I think a lot of people don't understand. It's it's Brandel Chambly's job to make to yeah. be interesting, constantly interesting. That's not as easy as a lot of people might think. And he puts a lot of work into it. You can't oh, question his work off. ethic. He's, uh, yeah. you know, you can disagree really with him and everything, but he he puts the hours in. <laughs> there's no question about that. So, uh, doing his job. I think we should wrap it up there. Uh, there's a million other things to talk about, but let's not do that. Uh, firstly, to you, Clates. Always great to hear from you. I recommend everybody go and listen to, if not the whole thing, part two. Or I don't know whether you heard it, Shaq. Clayton at his best. Part one is a lot of stuff that you know we've, we've been talking about today and heard. But part two, Clayton, I really, really enjoyed your your take on that US Hughes? Open and yeah, with Brad Hughes. Yeah, it's a bit okay. difficult to listen to because Brad's a great teacher and a great golfer, but he's podcasting skills i'm trying to help him behind the scenes there he got a left and right thing going he got one voice in each channel he hasn't got it mixed into one so it's a bit difficult to listen to it but it's worth it it is worth okay. it uh fully recommend cool. that you uh that you do it so good on you clates well done i recommend people listen to this podcast too but if you've heard that you're already listening so that was really kind of wasted but thanks for your time today clates it's been great to chat to you thanks Matt. always good always good and jeff obviously always great to catch up with you it's been too long as always but uh good to have state of the game back up and running so thank you for your time uh, yeah today. and i i get the sense it's going to be a, a busy fall for us uh, in terms of, of what, what doesn't look like a busy fall so if, if this distance report comes in october um we should have a lot to chew on at the first sniff of an announcement we'll be on the microphones yes clates are you coming to the President's Cup, Shaq? I know I've asked you, but I've forgotten. You're, you're a no, aren't you? Or a yes? As of now, no. Okay. Yeah, we're end-of-the-year budgets here in the U.S. Okay. Twist <laughs> right. arms. Come on, you see Brooks Kepko play at Royal Melbourne. Oh, yeah. yeah, hit iron off every tee, uh, yes. Okay, uh, now. Sorry. Now, now, we'll get, <laughs> we've got to do other episodes. Let's not waste it all here. Uh, thank you, Shaq. Great to have you aboard, as always. And uh, thank you. looking forward to you coming next time. And that's it for episode 98 of State of the Game. We're looking forward to your coming when we do it all again in the not-too-distant future here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.